Chapter 2 of Energy and Vibration. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Packard. Nature's Miracles, Volume 2 Energy and Vibration by Elisha Gray. Chapter 2 Energy of Motion and of Position. Energy performs work when it falls from a higher to a lower level. Whenever energy is stored, it is in a position to do work if released. As we have said before, stored energy is energy of position, or potential energy. It may exist in a great many ways. The power that has stored it is equal to that which it will give up when it is released and falls back to the level from which it was originally taken. If a cannonball is fired perpendicularly in the air, its moving energy begins to be changed from energy of motion to that of position the moment it leaves the muzzle of the gun. Its velocity is being continually reduced by the constant pull of gravity and the resistance offered by the air. These two resistances cause the ball to move slower and slower as it mounts higher and higher until it reaches the turning point when for a moment there is no motion of the ball and all the energy of motion has passed into that of position at every point in its upward flight the sum of the two forms of energy remained a constant quantity that is to say if at any point in its flight we measure the energy of position it has acquired we shall find that the sum of the two is equal to the energy of motion when the ball was moving at its highest velocity. When it has reached its extreme limit, the ball still possesses the same power to do work that it had the moment it left the muzzle of the gun. In its downward flight, at the moment it begins to descend, it also begins to give up its energy of position, and to take on, to the same degree, energy of motion. Energy of motion increases while energy of position decreases in its downward movement, until it has reached the point on a level with the muzzle of the gun, when it has given up all of its energy of position and has been changed to that of motion. Suppose it strikes a solid substance in its fall. It will do this with the same energy that the ball had when it issued from the muzzle of the gun. Here another transmutation takes place for the sudden arrest of the movement of the ball has converted what was before mechanical energy into molecular energy in the form of heat. It is still moving energy, but no longer of movement of the mass, which is called mechanical or visible, but it is represented by an increased movement of the ultimate particles of the mass, which we call molecular energy. In the whole process, there has been no change in the amount of energy, it has simply gone through a series of transmutations. First it was energy of position held in the powder by the force of chemical affinity. When this was released by igniting the powder, a portion of its energy was transferred to the ball which robbed the gases of a portion of the heat and passed from molecular into mechanical energy, which in its flight upward has been gradually converted into energy of position. In its fall downward, it is gradually reconverted into mechanical energy, and finally when it strikes the earth, there is another transmutation into that of molecular and a new production of heat. Friction against the air is not here considered. 
Another instance of energy of position may be found in a body of water having a level higher than that of the ocean's surface. If this body of water is released, it will flow down to the lower level, and during its progress, it is able to do work such as grinding grain, sawing wood, or driving the machinery of a factory. When it has reached its lowest level, it no longer possesses the power to do work. In order to restore to it the same power that it had at the higher level, we should have to expend the same amount of energy in pumping it back that it gave up when it ran down. As a matter of fact, we should have to expend a great deal more because of the great amount of energy that would be lost in the form of friction in the machinery employed for the purpose. In discussing this question, however, we are assuming that all of the energy can be employed in the actual work of raising the water. Another form of energy of position is seen in the bending of a bow. The bending of a bow has required a certain amount of energy, which, when released, is imparted to the arrow, which now represents as moving energy what the bent bow did as energy of position. If there's no attraction of gravitation, and if the arrow were flying through a vacuum instead of through the air, the arrow would move on forever with the velocity it had when it left the bow. In and of itself, it has no ability to change its velocity or direction. The energy imparted to it would continue with it as moving energy. But the moment it is resisted, as it is by gravitation and by passing through a resisting medium such as the air, the energy of mechanical motion is gradually changed into that of molecular motion until the whole of the former has passed into the latter, when the arrow comes to rest. But the measure of energy remains the same. Another instance of energy of position is found in the spherules of moisture that are drawn from the surface of a body of water by the action of the sun's rays and carried into the upper regions of the atmosphere. Here they may float around for days, weeks, or months, each one carrying its little load of energy, which is given up at the moment the conditions are right for condensation into raindrops. At the moment of condensation, the energy that was stored in the moisture spherule by the power of the sun's rays is given up in the form of heat or electricity or both. It may appear first as electricity until the cloud is charged to the point of disruption when the whole is converted into heat through the electric discharge. All of the phenomena of a thunderstorm, hailstorm, or tornado, with their terrific manifestations in the form of thunder, lightning, wind, and rain, are simply the result of a sudden releasing of the stored energy in the myriads of moisture spherules that were placed there by the power of the sun, when they were silently and invisibly wrested from the surface of the water, or from condensed moisture globules floating in the air. If we should measure the energy that is released during a thunderstorm by the condensation of moisture spherules and follow it through the various manifestations of thunder, lightning, wind, and rain, together with the energy set free in the form of heat, the whole of the energy expended in these various manifestations would be found equal to that expended by the sunbeam in disengaging and carrying the moisture spherules to the upper regions that were condensed into raindrops during the process of the storm. The sun has marshaled its forces silently so that no one is aware of the vast energy that is being expended until the storm bursts upon us. Another form of stored energy is manifested in the winding up of a weight or spring. 
the amount of power that has been expended in winding up the weight may be utilized in its descent when released to drive machinery, as of a clock, and perform various kinds of work. The function of a machine, and its only function, is to distribute energy that has been stored, in a manner that will be most convenient for our purposes. Energy cannot be created by the introduction of any form of machinery. By no possible means can more work be gotten out of a machine than it has required to create the energy of position which will drive it. Not only is it true that we cannot get more power out of a machine than we put into it, but in practice it is true that we cannot get so much. If all the kinds of friction could be done away with, we could take out the same amount in effective work that we put into winding the weight, but no more. If the weight is made to turn a system of wheels, each wheel will have its bearings that will cause more or less friction. The meshing of the cogs between one wheel and another will be an additional source of friction, and to this must be added the resistance offered by the air to the motion of the wheels. We have already seen that the arrest of motion is followed by a corresponding production of heat. In comparing the effective work done, then, in winding up the weight that drives the machine with that which it will perform when running down, we must deduct all the energy that passes into heat caused by the friction of the bearings, the cogs, and the resistance of the air. This, added to the effective work performed, will be equal to that expended in raising the weight. It will thus be seen that by no possible means can power be gained by machinery, but machinery enables us to utilize power in many convenient and highly advantageous ways that would be impossible without its use. It was an old notion that power could be gained by machinery, and many men have spent years of time as well as fortunes in pursuing this will-o'-the-wisp, which, if true, would enable us to construct a machine that would propel itself. From their standpoint, an animal or a man seemed to be a realization of perpetual motion. They did not take into account the fact that the food which an animal eats and the air that it breathes sustains the relation. In a sense, to animal locomotion, that coal burned under a boiler does to the propulsion of a steam engine. In both cases, there is oxidation caused by the union of oxygen with the carbon, the result of which is the production of heat. Many ingenious automatons were constructed that would simulate the movements of men and animals in the performance of certain kinds of work, and their ingenious constructors had in view the solution of a greater problem than that of the construction of a mere mechanical toy. History speaks of a mechanical duck that was the wonder of the last century, that fed and digested its own food. The same inventor is said to have constructed a flute player that would move its fingers in the proper manner to produce a certain melody. Later on, another ingenious mechanician constructed a writing boy who would go through all the motions of writing accompanied by the proper movement of fingers, arms, and eyes, and so perfectly was this piece of mechanism adapted to the purpose for which it was intended, that when the boy and his father, who invented and constructed him, were traveling and giving exhibitions in Spain, they were both arrested for being in league with the powers of darkness and subjected to the tortures of the Spanish Inquisition. The officials tortured the father, but not the offspring of his genius, for the writing boy was merely a highly organized machine, 
containing nothing more wonderful than the ordinary cuckoo clock. The materialism of the age in which these geniuses and philosophers lived led them to suppose that the problems of life would be solved by mechanics and chemistry. Whether they had in mind the construction of a mechanical man that could eventually be endowed with moral qualities, we do not know. We do know, however, that no greater blessing could come to modern civilization than the construction of a mechanical servant girl who would do just what she wanted her to do without talking back. We could afford to dispense with moral and intellectual qualities if all the other disagreeable qualities could be dispensed with as well. The law of conservation of energy is teaching men that something cannot be made from nothing, and this is what every man is trying to do who is deluding himself with the idea that a perpetual motion is possible. End of chapter 2 Recording by Michael Packard